we have actually taken this uh, precise uh, strategy of hiring locally in the very beginning of our international development. We've seen that uh, it was actually more interesting for us to have everything based in Paris, where we are, in our headquarters, and do things from here. So as such, we've decided to change our, our focus a little and restructure the team, moving from a local country manager's point of view to an international sales pole. Corner, the podcast that helps you open and thrive in foreign markets. This is Steve here speaking, and today I am very pleased to welcome Fernando Barreto, head of international sales at Partu. Partu is a platform that improves online visibility and customer relationships of their customers. They are currently working with independent businesses, large companies, resellers, and the public sector around the world. And Fernando is especially in charge of the international enterprise sales team, and he will reveal part of secret recipe that has helped them successfully do business in more than 50 countries in two years. And a little spoiler alert, if you're interested in improving your album game internationally, and especially on the enterprise market, then you don't want to miss out on this episode. Fernando, I am so glad to have you here at the podcast International Corner. Thank you so much for joining. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. <laughs> Sounds great. We have a lot to talk about and it's going to be very interesting to understand what the international scope of Part 2 looks like. But can you perhaps start by introducing yourself in a few words, Part 2 and your scope there, I guess? Thank you so much, Tiffin, for, for having me here uh, in the International Corner. Really nice to see that our companies are being highlighted and the, the international developments that we're in charge of are also uh, being showcased. Uh, well, to introduce myself, I'm head of international sales at Part2. Part2 uh, is a company based in, uh, in France specifically. Here's, our, here's where we have our main, our main office, but we're also all over the world with offices in Barcelona, in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, also, we have, of course, a lot of developments in Italy, but that's done from Barcelona as well. So we're all over the world. We're currently in our team, uh, to, to be precise, we're in charge of the entire enterprise market internationally. Uh, so in this scope, We're talking about all of our expansion markets, which are currently Latin America, uh, including Brazil as well. Brazil has its own developments. We have the countries that speak Spanish as LATAM. And then moving over to the old world, we have in, in Europe uh, markets such as DAG for German-speaking countries. We have the Nordics. We have UK, Ireland, Central Eastern Europe. And then, of course, moving a little bit over to the East we enter the Middle East. These are the markets where we are focusing on in our developments. And uh, it's been a very exciting two years time since then. To introduce myself personally, um, I'm, a, I'm a young sales professional. I've been working in startups for the entirety of my career, I would say, in sales. Uh, starting at part two, two years ago, as you know, with COVID and everything that's happened, 
been very interesting seeing how we develop, but we've managed to do so uh, with good numbers to to support our growth. And uh, yeah, very exciting times. Uh, based in Paris, as as you as you know as well, but traveling a lot all over the world to make sure that our business develops. I'm originally from Brazil. I also grew up in the United States. And uh, yeah, France is my home for the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about you is that I think you have such an international profile. You've been everywhere. And even just for work, I think about two or three weeks ago, you were in, in Mexico. So it's, uh, it's, it's, really, uh, it's really nice to see that. Can you perhaps share, for instance, the total turnover that's generated by Part2 and perhaps the proportion of international markets in it? Certainly. To give you a context, uh, in this year, we're expected to sign 10 million of ARR in new contracts. This is enterprise, of course. We're talking about all of the markets, the core markets, which are uh, the ones where we've been uh, working at for a long time. These are France, uh, Spain, Italy, and then, of course, expansion markets, which are the ones I'm in charge of. So we're talking about the ones that I mentioned earlier. Uh, Context-wise, 10 million for the total sales uh, department at Part 2. 2 million should come from the international sales market, the, the expansion market, which is a good proportion here. We're, we're talking about uh, way more than it was last year. Just so you know, last year we managed to sign over a million euro in ARR. It was actually 1.7 million. And that was uh, more than uh, four times our objectives for the year. So we, we did it through great work from the whole team. And that's what I'm proud of. Wow, you guys killed it. And that's actually what I wanted to focus on how you guys choose to go about new markets, your strategy, and trying to understand a bit of highlights and, and how you do it so that hopefully the audience can uh, enjoy those tips and apply them you know, in the, in, in the next few weeks. So my first question is, how does Part2 choose which markets they want to focus on? That's a great question, actually. It's probably, I think, the... The main topic we have as uh, international sales uh, professionals is where do we go? Because we could virtually go everywhere. And that's fun too, but we need to focus. And the challenge we've had is to understand where we can go, uh, where we can have a value to add instantly and uh, rapidly, of course. We're talking about, uh, of course, objective sales objectives. So with that, we've considered markets uh, where we have a competitive advantage to start what are these markets? Are markets where we do have competition, but we have a great value to add compared to them. So when we were beginning, this is where we focused. We focused on the values of, uh, of our platform versus what is available already in these markets. Uh, this is the main trigger, I would say, to say where we go. Besides that, of course, uh, in, uh, in, in, in sales, there is, of course, uh, there is opportunity that comes also from talent. And the talents in our team do speak many languages. They're from a multitude of, uh, of backgrounds. So, of course, that is also a great impact in determining where we go. Uh, if we have someone from a specific country, of course, let's, let's do that. Let's see if this works. And so far, it's been very successful. Um, I think this is the, the main thing really is competitive advantage. That's how we see that we can develop each, uh, ourselves quickly. Other determinants, of course, you can consider... What is the, the, the purchasing power of certain countries? Where can we sell and, and have our solution be valid? Of course, we're talking about a SaaS solution here that takes Google as its main uh, determinant. So 
with that, we have to go where country in countries where Google is actually available. Uh, so these are things as well to to consider. We wouldn't necessarily go to China in that case, for example. And if we go even further than this, uh, we take into account the population of certain countries where we can actually see that indeed uh, we would be able to 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 find a multitude of points of interest. This is how we price our product. We're looking for contracts where we have a good number of POIs, and that tells me, okay, we can go there and we can sign. Can you just explain, you know, for, for people who, who don't know, like what POIs means? POI is a point of interest. So pretty much a local business with an actual uh, establishment. We're not talking about something that's only online. We're talking about a physical uh, point of business that can be found on Google Maps, on Waze, and so on. All right, perfect. So I'm guessing that what you just highlighted are also um, some characteristics that are really proper to Porter's market and Porter's business. Indeed. So in that case, that's also how, by understanding what you currently have, that you can find similar customer profile in other markets and saying, yeah, actually, I find that in that market in particular, there might be a good proportion of, of those uh, ideal customer profile that we could go after because they look like the one that we have in France or in Spain, you know, the, the first markets you guys uh, uh, went after. Indeed, yes. Uh, so, of course, when we start, when we sign with a client in one specific sector and that's a new sector for us, we consider that we've opened it. And that tells us that we can go and present this success story to new clients in the same sectors in, in similar territories and so on. And that always works. Uh, we've, we've seen this with uh, signing just one client in Colombia, for example, and seeing how much that helps us to sign afterwards in Mexico and all the other countries that speak the same language and that do also have the same maturity level in terms of our solution. Uh, our solution is perceived as needed in some countries, as uh, a good to have in other countries. So it's important to also go with that and find uh, the right pitch to show the client that this is actually a necessity. We're talking about 2022, uh, everything is online and so should your company be. <laughs> of course, and what you mentioned about signing the first customer, we're gonna come back to that in a little bit. But before, I was interested to understand what is part of strategy to open new markets, depending on companies that are going international. Some of them decide to hire local team first. Some of them decide to do it remotely from the, head the headquarters. Uh, how does Pardu do it? We have actually taken this uh, precise uh, strategy of hiring locally in the very beginning of our international development. We've seen that uh, it was actually more interesting for us to have everything based in Paris, where we are in our headquarters, and do things from here. So as such, we've decided to change our, our focus a little and restructure the team, moving from a local country manager's point of view to an international sales pole where from here, we're close to the source of information. We can easily reach out to teams that support us in our growth. You know, it always takes a village. This is the truth in sales, is that the salesperson is there, but um, he or she is backed up by, of course, amazing pre-sales uh, consultants. We're talking about uh, an incredible customer success team as well that supports, supports us along the way. The care team that works enormously to make sure that our that our objectives are achieved and that the results of the of the, the the client are achieved as well. As such, we have seen that working from Paris, being in the headquarter, close to these teams, 
is the standpoint that we wanted to take. The challenge with that is that it's difficult sometimes to hire uh, international sales profiles in one place. So we have at times considered, shall we hire someone remotely and so on. We have Lucas in Brazil, for example, who does very well. He knows the company uh, from, from, from back to back, I would say. And uh, that's one success case that we have in our company of someone working remotely from very far away. But for now, we see that for the rest of the team, we want to keep them here, close to where the information is as well, to make sure that we scale. We're talking about growth, not only sales. I just want to come back on what you said earlier. That's very interesting. So you decided to mainly work from the headquarter and uh, hiring like international from here. At which point do you decide that it's time to uh, uh, maybe, you know, hire uh, a team that's going to be local or does that happen at all? You know, like is there any point, you know, where, where you say, okay, it's not going to be my team now, but it's going to be a total different team that's going to work on developing the market. Indeed, this is expected already. With uh, with our team scaling rapidly, we are sure to have to expand uh, and and open offices worldwide. This is a part of, you know, time zone. Even just considering the time zone differences that we face. Last night, for example, someone in my team signed at one thirty in the morning. <laughs> so, oh my god, <laughs> you know, it, it's it really is going to happen. We're going to have to have teams based in uh, in Mexico. That's for sure. In Brazil as well, we already have uh, Lucas there, for example. This is going to happen, but this is going to happen at the right time. When is the right time? Is when we have more people, number one. Uh, right now, we're in the scaling phase. So in our team, uh, we're about 10 people right now. And we should get to at least 20 by the end of this year. So with that happening, uh, we would open our eyes a little bit more and say, okay, Now it's time to start hiring a country manager, a team lead, another team lead, a head of sales. And that's when we would think, okay, now next step, what would it be? Let's have a team based abroad. So this is uh, a signal based on hiring. Do you have also signals coming from the market, right? Like saying, okay, uh, if we are reaching, I'm just I'm saying, you know, crap, but like, let's say if we are reaching... 200, 300K of uh, ARR, so annual recurring revenue. Is that uh, is there, you know, like a signal or like um, a point where, you know, like this is a good indicator for you guys to say, okay, now we can hire a full team because we're confident that based on the revenue we, or, we are already having, we can scale even more. Not, not for locally, I'll tell you. For, for opening offices right now, we don't. Uh, but we have ARR that would definitely impact this. We would be more like uh, on reviewing the strategy. Right now, our strategy until 2023 is that of being based in Paris, but with the understanding that growth can impact this. So meaning that, of course, if we overachieve, and this will certainly happen, uh, we'll definitely reconsider this. What I love about part two is that we're open to to reconsidering our strategy and, and opening new offices when needed. Uh, right now we're really at a point where we want everyone to be based here as close to the to 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 the HQ as possible. But yeah, this this is not scalable. At one point we will need to open these offices and have people based all over the world. 
I know that markets are really different from one another, but I'm actually curious, like, do you see a difference between the way Brazil is developing or how fast Brazil is, is developing because that person, Lucas, is based out there versus Mexico or uh, Colombia, you know, like other markets that you're trying to open from the HQ in France. Do you think the fact of being remote versus being actually in the country makes any difference? Yes, it does. It limits our hours. I would say that would be the, I would say the, the, the negative aspect uh, of being far away. But in terms of uh, having a team there, certainly that, that is the goal. That, that, that is much better. This is why we travel so much at part two. <laughs> you know, we have to be present. We have to show up at least, uh, I would say, on a monthly basis and show our clients that we're, we're, we're doing this with them. You know, we're there in their offices, helping them with their KPIs, meeting with their managers, making sure that they see us as their trusted advisor not only just a solution that's helping them, but really a trusted advisor. Um, and I think this is this is why having a local office will come and it will come very soon. And when that happens, it will be, it will be definitely uh, really, really good for the company. This is actually really great to hear that you guys are able to develop quite efficiently because we're talking about 2 million ARR that you're targeting this year for the international market. So doing business remotely, And, and then, you know, at some point only considering hiring the local team, I, I think it's good because right now what I see in the French market is that a lot of entrepreneurs and companies, they're trying to mitigate their risk and say, okay, can we do already something from France first? And then, you know, when we have like uh, some first wins or some kind of reassurance that this is the right direction to take, then actually hiring a lot of people locally. Prior to our chat, we had a very interesting conversation about the step-by-step -step process you are following every time you are opening a new market. Can you perhaps walk us through those different steps your team is going to go through uh, until you get those first customers? Okay. We work as a duo. That's uh, number one, I would say. There is always an, an account executive working with a business developer. And so with this amazing combination... We have perfect uh, market understandings. I would say that the market study is an essential part of their day-to-day -day and, well, at least weekly, <laughs> but daily tasks. How do we, how, what am I saying about this? I'm saying that um, understanding the market, seeing where, seeing w which companies are there. Do they have a vast amount of locations? I'll give you an example. Singapore. <laughs> we worked with Singapore during a, a short time. Uh, we, we have great partners there from Webedia, the company that uh, really fosters our growth worldwide. That's our shareholder, by the way, just mm -hmm. to give you some context here. We decided to target Singapore for a little while uh, without, and, and shortly we realized that the number of locations was extremely small and that even though there were multinational contracts that could be targeted in this country, Uh, between, for example, Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, and so on, it would never get us to towards our, our 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 ambitious sales objectives. So that's when we said Singapore will happen, but it will happen later. For now, let's go where the big clients are. Uh, let's go where the vast amount of point point of sales are, and also where we can uh, have an acceptance of our solution with a good purchasing power that tells us, okay. We can actually uh, develop this this market quickly. This is an essential part. This is what this is what this is the market study that is done is understanding who the logos are 
Who can we work with here? Do they already have a solution? You know, we have methods of looking up online and seeing if these Google my Google business profile listings are managed by someone already or not. So this like this goes back to the competitive knowledge that is so necessary. Uh, Defend like we, <laughs> the main challenge of opening internationally is that in each market we have three or four competitors. And so it takes an immense amount of, uh, of, of, of really strategy analysis, um, looking up what, the, what is there, uh, because our competitors are great as well. You know, we need to see what do they do so well that part two could do as well or could do better. And so this is not just one market. This is times 10. And times three, because we have three com three competitors per market. That's what makes it sometimes difficult for, you know, me as a manager, I would say, is understanding what's going on in the Middle East, but then being able to shift quickly to the reality of South America, for example, which is another one. Uh, isn't that exciting? It is. It is. All right. So step one, understanding the market, competitive landscape. And then once uh, we get that done, what's next? You know, how do you go about opening the market and finding the first customers, which are always the hardest? Prospecting 101, I would say. This is the secret that part two does so well. Uh, we go out there. We, we're not afraid of, of emailing clients, calling them, getting in touch with them, asking our partners, who are they? Google, Waze, Facebook. Who do they know that part two could be introduced to and could actually bring uh, bring uh, uh, good results. So this, you know, this is really cool because this reminds me of the agency developments that we have at Part Two as well. We are partners of our agencies. We're not competitors, meaning that agencies that do everything for their clients digitally, they can use Part Two to achieve their goals not manually, but through us, which is currently they're working manually on Google. Now I'm going to get too specific perhaps, but it takes a long time. If you're doing it manually, like most of the agencies do, uh, it really is not a scalable process. So they can work with Part 2, where we will provide them with a state-of-the-art solution that gets their objectives uh, achieved and that quickly. Our agencies, when we work with them, they introduce us to clients because it's in their interest as well. So really, in opening new markets, reach out to these agencies. Reach out to those who can uh, work with you. It's really about, you know, uh, finding these these in your in your own. Uh, you know, uh, here I'm sure a lot of people were talking about SaaS solution. Other companies could do something else, but in the SaaS world, at least. Agencies are a huge help in terms of opening markets um, internationally. This we saw in the Netherlands, for example, which uh, we were very, uh, we, we, it, it's actually the third biggest market for part two, I would say. Uh, right now, it is, in fact. It is our third biggest market, the Netherlands. And all of the developments done in this country were done through agencies and our great sales team supporting them along uh, the commercial process. Okay. So first, you will understand the market. Second, you will uh, understand the competitor's landscape and see how you can propose something that's actually going to work out. And then you find partners that will get you 
to be seen. All right. And okay, so that's basically your, your three steps. And you mentioned prospection, right? As well, that, uh, at least like the hard one. Do you do a lot of those uh, at the beginning? Let's say emailing, calling without going through the agencies. Do you use it at the very beginning? And does it work? It does work indeed. Um, now, do we do it a lot? I would say that we've done it more before when we were very manual. Nowadays, uh, our BDR team keeps prospecting a lot for us and, and, and uh, that really helps our sales team. Once they have a, a pipe that's built, they prospect a little bit less, but it's, it is still uh, uh, an, an essential part of the go-to-market strategy is to keep prospecting. Um, Now, of course, with tools nowadays, it's it's easier uh, than it was two years ago. And given the better context as well of where we are, 2022, that's also um, a good a good thing to mention. But uh, yeah, you need to get out there. You need to send that email and 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 make that quick phone call. Well, I'm really glad to hear that album prospection is working for part two, especially because it is one of the toughest process to put in place even more when going into international market. Therefore, could you perhaps share how Partu does to leverage this album process with the business development representative team to get some leads in for the international account executive team? There is always good content with prospecting clients that is shared. So with that, really kudos to our marketing team, marketing team as well. That supports us a lot. Uh, anytime our team prospects, and this is both the account executive team, but also the notable BDR team that I mentioned earlier, does an incredible job in all of our markets. When we prospect, when we send an email, any anytime we exchange with the clients, there has to be some value that is added. And so with that, We send that nice article from part two, uh, how to improve your, your online visibility. That's a classic one that always works some, as well. Uh, additionally, success cases, uh, we have been able to create so many over the course of the last few years. A lot also thanks to the core markets that have been on this route for longer than us. Uh, so that's Spain, uh, France, Italy. Uh, these markets have already been signing with so many clients. They've built so many uh, success cases that nowadays allow us to reach out to a client in the health sector, for example, saying, we already work with someone in your field. Come work with us as well. And uh, when they see the results, when they see what's been done, they, they get back to us. That's something that I say. Always have good content in your prospection. Never miss out the opportunity to generate value and, and to really impact that client's or that prospect's um, decision to, to come and talk to you, come and learn more about you. Wow. Okay. So uh, in the early days when the BDR team, you know, actually does some uh, emailing prospection uh, using those, those contents or those uh, case studies, Uh, you do have some responses and it does generate some meetings in the early days for the sales team, for the international sales team. In the early days and in the latter days too. I mean, this is an ongoing journey. Uh, the, the, the active prospection work is the key, um, the, the key, I would say, step towards opening a market once you've, you've done your market study. That's how you start, you know, Get, get that first meeting. Once you've got that first meeting, 
then you're, you're, the next step is always a bit easier, you know, the, the, with the methodology that we use, the MIDIC methodology, uh, during our meetings, we're looking to find uh, ways that we can be impactful with the, the prospect. What is that prospect looking for? Are they looking to make their jobs easier, for example? Is it, a, is it a manual task that they're taking off of their list that's currently taking five or six hours of their weekly tasks, of the, their, their weekly hours, week, weekly work? So, you know, here's an example, but of course, there's so many. I could dig into this for the whole day. Um, <laughs> well, I'm really glad to hear that you have cracked the code of outbound prospection. Let's maybe dig a little deeper before moving on. Can you share what makes prospection so successful in the early days? Targeting is the key here, I would say. We've learned that going all over, like, you know, <laughs> crazy emailing all the companies without value, without like a specific campaign or a specific content that's directed to them is not efficient. It doesn't get us the meeting booked. So we've, through that, um, our great BDR team was able to have a more targeted approach along with the account executives. They meet weekly. They determine a lot together where they want to go, which companies, which sectors. And they make a very targeted list of about 10 companies per week that are used that is used to to guide them and 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 based on that now you've had now you have your 10 your 10 let's say now you have your list with your 10 clients uh of each client you would get five to ten contacts that you would speak to that you would get get in touch with there you have your meetings now that's interesting and how personalized is their approach can you tell us more about that I think I have a good point there. Don't make it too personalized. Otherwise, it's not, I think the the time will, will be too long. <laughs> so not, not, it's not 100% personalized, uh, you know, with specific numbers of this company and so on. But here we're talking about more of a sectorial uh, focus. You know, we're talking about health. We're talking about auto sector. Uh, these are sectors that you can easily uh, come up with numbers of how part two has, has, uh, worked with it, how we have generated this much in ARR, in uh, KPIs and so on. And there you have the content that will be understood when you reach out to, let's say, a car, a car dealership, a group of uh, labs and so on. So make it, make it targeted, but not too specific. Okay, nice. So um, as you're saying, and that's very interesting, so you guys make a list of 10 companies within a specific sector with specific criteria, and then you go after it, but still with that sectorial or industry approach kind of uh, point of view to make it like a, a little bit targeted, but not so much that you spend a lot of time um, doing like a one-to-one -one thing when you're not even sure that it's, it's going to bite, I guess. Yes, indeed. And here's where, again, come, comes the great impact from our marketing team, for example, in creating, you know, the benchmark studies, for example, that also is done by the strat team. Strat team and marketing, they get together, they create benchmark studies that are done based on a specific industry and how this industry is performing on our platform, on, uh, you know, not our platform, but our targeted, our, our partners, uh, Google, Facebook, and so on. So with these contents that are generated, 
you're able to book your meeting because now you have the content that's gonna that that's gonna speak to that to that prospect in terms of them seeing that you're understanding their context. And then now it's about getting great sales skills and closing that meeting. And that we do very well. Our emails are, are well written. Uh, the cadences are well established. And I think that's the secret. If I'm understanding well, is that for you, you know, like the right recipe is that first, like you understand your market. Then second, you understand the competitive landscape to know what's happening. Third, try to leverage uh, your, um, let's say, partnerships, right? Like, so for you, it was with agencies, but depending on which um, companies and which business you're operating, you you choose, but partnerships is key. And force you empower, I would say, your prospecting team, either it's BDRs, um, business development representative or AEs with the right content, with the right use cases, and obviously with the right knowledge about who they should go after so that they can be more impactful and try you know, to get some traction to start having the first few customers coming in. Indeed. And then, of course, uh, that's where the fun starts, I would say, because once you've, you know, now, now you have an understanding of the market, you've leveraged your, your partnership, so you have good names supporting you and, uh, and coming to your meetings sometimes as well. We work a lot like this with our partners. Um, and that's where we were able to start, you know, the negotiation process and so on. Anyway, but yeah, that's where with these, with these three or four steps, then uh, I think you've got your recipe ready to, to, to start a new market. Perfect. Okay. So if that's fine with you, Fernando, there, there were a lot of information, but what I'm always ending each interview with is what I call the, uh, oops, my bad time. Whoops. My bad. So this is a few minutes for each guest at the end to share one big mistake or one setback that has occurred during uh, this country opening efforts. So do you have like any example in mind or any stories that you can share where you guys had some issues or had some setbacks that could be helpful for the audience so that hopefully they cannot repeat the same Oops, my bad. That That's great. Um, definitely in, in sales, our learnings are what are the best thing, right? Every day we learn, every day, every day we see that uh, things change with our, with our clients, with our prospects, our markets specifically. You know, for example, right now where we have two big elections in, in, uh, in Latin America coming up this year, we're really looking forward to seeing what that's going to be like. This does have strong impact in our, in our clients' decisions, for example. So it's just to say how things are volatile sometimes with uh, the macro and the microscopes. Now to target the oops, my bad, that uh, we had at part two, as we started developing internationally, we said there are three big markets that we really can go quickly. Uh, these three big markets are still big and are still going quickly at part two. That's Brazil, uh, Middle East, and India. And shortly, we realized that actually India needs to be developed from there. <laughs> uh, we worked very uh, intensely on this market. We had a number, I honestly, like uh, kudos to Swami and to Rohit, who worked with us quite well in this market. And uh, I, I remember it was like 10 meetings booked per week at times with Indian clients. And our solution is is great for India. We have a great impact. Uh, but unfortunately, our in our team here in Paris, we were like, how do we do this? You know, <laughs> we've never worked with India before. We don't quite understand 
the sales the the sales uh, methodology to be applied here. It really is a market that's so specific and so dynamic and so local. <laughs> Even if that's a bit of a, I would say a redundant a redundant point. Every market is local. India is just a little bit more local, a little bit too local for our early beginnings. So our next step was to hire Shishir and have this market be taken from there locally with his great knowledge of it. And uh, right now, India is doing extremely well. It's rare, Tiffen, that you will see, uh, you know, a, let's say in this case, a French startup, but even international companies that decide to open in India. Partu made that decision and we're so happy about it because it's it's generating so much ARR right now. Uh, I would I would even recommend that we involve Shishir in, in future, future calls. He has a lot of learnings to share with us about this market. And uh, yeah. That's that's our oops, my bad, is that uh, it's better managed from there through him and uh, with the great people supporting him as well. Like I said, we have uh, Rohit Swami here in Paris working on this market. She's here in, in Mumbai. We've recently, uh, I, I think the customer success team hired Rabat, which is, uh, she, she's our customer success manager, also based in India. So this market really is a local one. We, we took it from there in the early days and we decided to stop from Paris and just move it over. So if you ever want to develop India, don't start from the HQ, just directly hire uh, on the market. This market needs to be developed from the inside. It really does. And uh, it's a great market, honestly. Very exciting. The, the meetings are so dynamic. Uh, yeah, I, I actually miss it. <laughs> I bet, look, this is the international guy speaking, but thank you so much, Fernando, for all your insights today. That was very interesting to understand like how Part2 does to go about opening new markets. Thank you so much, Stefan. I wish continued success to the international team and I'll see you soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening until the end. If you liked this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to not miss the next ones. Feel free to connect as well with me on LinkedIn, Stefan Leroux, if you have any feedback to share. See you soon.